Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be at. Uh, we looked last week in uh, the same chapter at uh, how to discern God's will for your life. And we looked at uh, Paul discerning where God wanted them to be uh, in their mission and concluded that he had called into Macedonia. One of the first cities they visited in Macedonia is a city called Philippi. And that's where we're at today. So Acts chapter 16 is where we're at, beginning in verse 25. Acts 16, beginning in verse 25. You can look along with me in your Bibles. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation to the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed the wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Father, thank you that the gospel is so simple. Lord Jesus, you did all the work. Uh, you died on the cross. You, you paid our penalty. You lived a righteous life. Lord, I pray that today you'd help us to believe. And God, I pray that um, our belief would go beyond saying we believe. But God, I pray that our, our lives... Lord, I pray that the way that I, I raise my little kids would say Jesus is Lord. And I pray that the way that I love my wife would say Jesus is Lord. And God, I pray that the way that... Uh, the way I act with my en enemies and my neighbors and my friends. Lord, I pray that it would say Jesus is Lord. Father, I, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would work and speak and teach us today. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, do you ever think, uh, you ever think it just really seems to be too easy? That ever, ever crossed your mind before? You ever read a passage like this in the Bible, you know, and you're just trying to kind of get your head around it and, and you think, okay, here's a guy uh, in Philippi, Paul and, and Silas just got there. They're taking the gospel into Macedonia, which is the edge of Europe, would be modern day the edge of Europe. And nobody's ever been there before. No, no Christians have ever been there before. There's no church there. So, so this Philippian jailer, he's never had a Bible. He's never been to church. He's probably never heard the gospel. Probably we're not. If he has, it's been from Paul or Silas or somebody there. So, so he doesn't have any experience at all with Christianity, okay? And the only Christians he knows are Paul and Silas, and he just beat them and put them in prison, okay? You know, and, and so that's his, only, that's his only contact with Christianity. But not only that, but there's an, an earthquake and, and, and kind of rocks his prison that he's in charge of and, and kind of springs loose all the doors and everything flies open. And, and, and he's, he's in such despair over that. And I have to believe other things in his life. You know, I think for a person to be ready to run a sword through your chest, 
Yeah, you, you got to be kind of down, you know? I mean, you got to be kind of disillusioned. You got to be kind of, I mean, I would be, even if I knew I was going to get executed. I mean, that, that's pretty serious stuff to get ready to plunge a sword into your own chest. So you got a guy with no, no background at all of Christianity, probably doesn't know hardly anything, maybe nothing about Jesus, okay? The only Christians he's ever met are the guys he just beat up and put in prison, okay? He's at the point of despair, running a sword through his chest, and he, and he stopped by one of the prisoners, by Paul and Silas. And he asked one simple question. What should I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved. One simple little answer, one thing. Believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. And the Bible says he does. And his sins are forgiven. And, and he's radically transformed. His life is forever changed. He begins a founder, founding member of the Philippian church. And today, he's been in the presence of Jesus, experiencing fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore for about 2,000 years. Now, doesn't that just seem a little bit too easy? It's kind of like watching one of those ab rocker commercials, you know? Where they tell you that if you buy one of these and you rock back and forth on this dude for about 10 minutes, that your abs are going to look like that guy's abs. And, you know, if you have any kind of critical thinking skills at all, you have to almost say, I think that's just a little bit too easy, right? Yeah, maybe there's something else. You know, surely it can't just be that. And a lot of people, when they look at passages like this, they're a little bit skeptical because they're thinking, oh, come on, here's a guy who, who doesn't know anything about Christ. He's never been to Saints school. He's never been to vacation Bible school. He's never been to Falls Creek. You know, he comes to a crisis point in his life. He called, what should I do to be saved? And, and one guy tells him one thing, believe in the Lord Jesus. And he does that. And he's radically transformed forever. Could it really be that easy? Maybe it could. Now, what do you mean by easy, though? Now, if you mean by easy that there was no effort put into this thing, well, that's not true at all. Because here's, here's the truth about the gospel. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. He was tested in every possible way and passed the test. He lived a life of righteousness and complete submission to God for 33 years. Jesus Christ took the sins of humanity upon his own body. He took the sins of, of, of mankind, of immorality, of violence, of, of dishonoring God, took that upon himself and he died on a cross for those sins on the third day he was resurrected from the dead he's ascended into heaven the spirit of jesus the spirit of god right now is working in guys like the philippian jailer to open their minds open their eyes to see their own sin their own desperate need and to draw them to jesus christ and so we can't say well there's it's easy then that there's no work there's a lot of work done there. It's all done by Jesus, all right? So, so if that's what you mean by easy, then, then no, not at all. Now, if, if what you mean by easy is, is there something else that needs to be done? Now, a lot of times that's what we mean by easy. We're thinking, well, you know, this guy, all it says here in the Bible is that he came to a point in his life when, you know, what should I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And bam, it just happened like that. Are you sure there's not something else that needs to happen? You know, doesn't he need to listen to about 40 boring sermons first to kind of put in his time with God? You know, or doesn't he need to do something else? Doesn't he need to sign up? Doesn't he need to drive the team kid bus for a while? Doesn't it need to be faith plus something else? You know, a lot of times that's what we mean by it seems too easy. You know, the Ab Rocker commercial. I think, it, I think there's something else that needs to happen, right? You need to do that for 10 minutes a day and probably never eat a cheeseburger again, you know? Just eat rice cakes and all kind of nasty stuff. And then maybe you'll have abs like that. But, you know, I just don't think that that, you know, there's got to be something else. 
Okay? But friends, in this case, there isn't anything else. It is believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, faith comes, or or salvation comes through the means of faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's through faith. Not not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works as any man should boast. John 3.16, a verse that many of you know, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe, whoever would believe, Upon him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the Bible is very clear that salvation comes through the means of faith. Okay. Now be careful here that you don't think that faith is the salvation. Okay. Now, a lot of people kind of lump faith into this mushy, gushy feeling of optimism. You know, uh, there's lots of folks out there who say, well, you know, I just have faith. You know, I'm just going to, I'm going to live my life this way that the Bible says not to live it, but I'm just going to have faith that it's all going to turn out okay. Hey, that's, there's nothing to that. That's nothing more than having a lucky rabbit's foot, okay? Faith is not the thing that saves you. Jesus is the thing that saves you, okay? The only thing that can transform your life, the only thing that can forgive your sins, the only one who can forgive your sins, the only, the only one that can make you righteous, the only one that can transform you from the inside out so that you don't want the same things that you used to want and you don't love the things, same things that you used to love, the only only one that can do that is Jesus. Faith is the thing that connects you to Jesus. Does that make sense? Faith connects you to Jesus. Faith is the means by which we are placed in Christ, embracing Jesus Christ. Now, what exactly is faith? Faith is, 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 is believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, and that he will do what he said he will do. It is embracing the person of Jesus Christ to be everything that I need. It is to embrace Christ to be all that I need for salvation, all that I need for life, all that I need for direction, for guidance, for for power, for strength, for, for marriage, for parenting, for work, for money, for everything in my life. Faith says, Jesus, I embrace you. I want you. You are what I need. I am holding on to you. I am resting in you. I am placing my trust in you. I am valuing and loving and treasuring you. That's what faith is. Faith engages the mind and the heart and the will, the entire person. So this man exercises faith and he's saved. Simple as that. He's saved. He's radically transformed forever. But it's still interesting to me that that one sentence... You know, I started going to church really faithfully when I was about eight years old. My dad was saved when he was 28. I was eight. And so, uh, man... I wasn't saved for 10 years after that, you know? So I had 10 years of church. I had 10 years of Sunday school lessons. I could tell you the story of David and Goliath. I could tell you the story of Elijah. I could tell you the story of Abraham. I could tell you the story of Moses. I could tell you the story of Jesus walking on water and feeding the 5,000. I mean, I knew all the, I mean, I'd been saturated with the word of God, you know, for 10 years before I finally came to a point of, of saying, I don't want to live my life anymore. I'm turning away from all my junk and I'm turning and saying, Jesus, I, I want you. You know, it took me 10 years of that. Here, this guy, he's got one sentence. Believe on, on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Didn't it just seem like he should need more? You know, I mean, didn't it seem like that he should know more about Jesus than just simply this one sentence? And what I'd like for you to see today, I think he did. Now, I don't know if he'd ever heard any more sermons, but I think he had had the opportunity to watch the lives of a couple believers for a day or so. 
And those guys' lives, I'm talking about Paul and Silas, their lives spoke so powerfully of the gospel that I think that this guy saw faith, he saw Jesus, he's, he saw who Christ is in the lives of these believers. You see, we don't, know, we don't just speak the gospel with our, our mouth. Did you know that? We don't just speak the gospel with our mouth. We actually speak the gospel with our lives. And what I want you to consider today is, as we're working through this passage is, Many of you profess Jesus. Many of you would say with your mouth, you would say, I am a Christian. You would say, I put my trust in Jesus. And what I would urge you just, just to look at, examine today. Does your life say the same thing? Does it say the same thing? Because Paul and Silas, their life said it so powerfully that I believe this guy was ready to hear the gospel because he had seen the gospel in Paul and Silas. So what, what did he see? Let's, let's look at the scripture see what, what, what might he have seen, okay? So he, he probably meets them earlier in the day because they get arrested. And, and he may have probably been a part of the beating process. They were, they were beaten with rods. That usually happens by law enforcement. And so that, that very much, he may have actually done it. We don't know. He's surely a part of the process. So he probably saw that happen. So he probably sees these guys get beaten with, robs, uh, with rods. He, he then probably is a part of the process of placing them in a dungeon and shackling them to the floor or the doors or whatever and locking them in there in the pitch black. And then he probably knows what's going on in his jail. And so he's probably aware of what has been happening in the cell. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I want you to consider what's happening here, okay? You got a couple of guys that have just been beaten within an inch of their life and they've just been thrown into prison and, and shackled in there and, and, and the door's been shut and locked and they're in pitch black. And what's happening with these guys? They are verbally out loud praising and expressing their joy and their faith and, the, and, and their confidence in the character of God. That's what we do when we sing, isn't it? Isn't that what we just did here just a little bit ago? Didn't, didn't we sing about our God is marching on? Didn't we sing about uh, marvelous light? In a marvelous light, I'm, I'm running out of darkness, out of shame. Uh, by the cross, you are, you know, I mean, aren't we saying truths? Aren't we expressing truths uh, that we have embraced and, and, and grabbed onto into our, that's what we do when we praise. That's what we do when we pray. You know, part of prayer is asking God for things. A big part of prayer is, is affirming what God has done, isn't it? How many of you, how many of you spend time thanking God in your prayers? I hope you do. I hope you have time of thanksgiving. You say, God, man, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for, for giving me your righteousness. Thank you for, uh, uh, for, for your goodness and your, your blessing and your promises. Hopefully you spend time in praise. You know, our, Jesus taught us to pray that way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so prayer and praise are expressions of, of, of what we are convinced of in our life. Now, now I, I think what's going on here is Paul and Silas are expressing who God is in their life through, through song. I mean, this is just, this is their lifestyle. I also think that Paul and Silas are doing spiritual battle for themselves as well. You know what? It's probably kind of hard to get beat up real bad, thrown into prison and locked there with no hope of, of, of getting out. That's probably kind of a hard thing. And, and, and you know what I think Paul and Silas know? They know that prayer and praise are a means of combating things like depression, things like despair, things like temptation, things like self-pity. How many, how many fall into any of those? You ever, you ever struggle with any of those? Let me tell you. Prayer and praise are a way to combat those things, okay? They're a way to stir up faith within our hearts. Prayer and praise ought to be a weapon that the Christian uses to fight against things like despair. 
You know, it's real interesting. We see uh, prayer and praise used as a weapon in Second Chronicles. This is a great passage. But, but Israel is in a literal, physical battle, okay, with their enemies. And God tells them to, to put, the, put the choir out front. And in verse 22 says, When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. Isn't that interesting? It's just a little story in the, in the Old Testament uh, about about the Israelites actually fighting a battle by praise. You know what happens when, when, when I spend time in praise and in prayer? It changes what goes on inside of here. You know, I, I can be kind of feeling self-pity and, and feeling a little woe for myself and feeling overwhelmed. But if I'll just spend some time focusing on who I know God is and who I know uh, he is for me and who, what I know he will do and what he's promised to do. Man, that changes me on the inside. I think that's what Paul and Silas are doing. And so they're grabbing on to the inner realities of, 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 of truth. Okay. You know what their outer realities are? They're in a stinky dungeon with a bunch of prisoners with no hope of being released. And they're really sore because they just got beat up. Okay. That's the outer reality. What's the inner realities? Well, they're children of the king. They're forgiven. They're sanctified. God has promised never to leave them or forsake them. God is moving and working in their life. They're part of the mission of God. And what they have chosen to do is, is embrace by faith those inner realities of who Jesus is in their life. And it has transformed the way that they live. And, and, and the jailer sees that. I mean, you know, I, I got I to imagine him coming up to his family saying, man, I'll tell you what, guys, I have never had two guys in prison like I've got down there now. He says, we just beat them within an inch of their life, locked them up in there. I came back down and they're singing. They're singing. You know, this song, Victory in Jesus. And, and, and Silas is a terrible singer. Paul, he's okay, you know. But they're, Victory in Jesus, they keep saying that. Our Savior, for, they've acted like they won, you know. We've got him down. They, they think they've won, you know. I, I bet he was just puzzled. And hey, what's going on with these guys? Nobody else acts that way. See, Paul and Silas were demonstrating with their life that there are realities beyond our outward circumstances. They were demonstrating with their life that the truths, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so instead of being bitter, instead of being self-pity, instead of being angry at God or angry at men, instead of cursing, they're praising and they're praying. And, you know, I can't prove to you that this to you, but I really think that is a trigger to what happens in verse 26. Okay, Verse 25, you've got them praying and singing hymns to God. Verse 26, you've got an earthquake in which God loosens the prison doors and sets in motion circumstances that, that bring about the conversion of the Philippian jailer. I happen to think the one triggered the other, okay? As I look through my Bible, I see the grace of God moving in people's lives, and I see things trigger the grace of God. Prayer is something that triggers the grace of God. Does, does God respond to prayer? He does, doesn't he? I mean, prayer is a means by which we trigger the grace of God into our life. Humility. God says over and over again in the Bible that God gives grace to the humble. Humility is a trigger for the grace of God into our life. I think praise is a trigger for the grace of God coming into our lives. And so Paul and Silas are living out the gospel in front of this guy. They, they, they have embraced, you know what? We're not alone. And, and, and we're not going to act like we're alone. We're, we're, we're going to embrace the fact that Christ is with us. And you know what? We're going to embrace the fact that the mission of God is not a failure. It may look like a failure to other people. It may look like, hey, we came to this town. We preached the gospel. Now we're in jail. 
You know, we got beat up and we're in jail. Wow, that's not a fail. That's not a success. Well, Paul, to Paul and Silas, they've embraced the reality that God is at work. They've embraced the reality that God is glorious. That though they're weak, God's going to make them strong. The Spirit of God is inside of them, empowering and encouraging them. That, that, that God is bringing blessing upon their lives. And, and, and by expressing that in praise, you know what they're expressing? They're expressing that, that faith also has works. James chapter 2, verse 17 says this. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What is James trying to express to us there? What James is trying to express to us there is that what you say about Jesus ought to match the way you live your life. You ought to live out the thing that you profess. Somebody ought to be able to look at your life and they ought to be able to see in it the marks of someone who puts their faith in Jesus, someone who trusts Jesus, someone who says, I embrace Jesus. He's king. He's Lord. They ought to see that in the way you parent your kids. And they ought to see that in the way that you love your wife. And they ought to see that in the way that you, 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 you work at your job. They ought to see the marks of someone who believes Jesus Christ. And they, and they saw that in Paul and Silas. Think about this, okay? Not, not just their singing, but, but, but notice later on, after the earthquake... It says the, the, the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. This is verse 27. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, let's stop right there. What do you do if you're a prisoner? Okay? If you're a prisoner, especially if you have been imprisoned unjustly, you're not supposed to be there. It's not right for you to be there. You've been beaten unjustly. And the guy that's in charge of that is about to run a sword through himself. You're not doing it. He's about to do it to himself. What do you do? A lot of people would say, well, you, you get some popcorn. You watch, you know. I mean, it's your enemy. God's taking judgment upon him. He deserves that. Teach him to beat me with rods. Throw me in here. Yeah. I was hoping you'd do that 10 minutes ago, you know. It's not what Paul does. He stops him. He stops his enemy from harming himself. He said, man, hey, 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 we're all here. We're all here and we're staying here. We're not going anywhere. Don't hurt yourself. Show his love to his enemy. Friends, you know what it is when you show love to your enemy? It's a display of the gospel, isn't it? You ever do that? Someone ever treats you really badly? You turn around, treat them really well. What, what are you doing when you do that? Think about what you're doing. You're living out the gospel. You're saying things about Jesus. You're saying things about Jesus. Now, now actually, here's the reality. You're saying things about about Jesus however you live, you know? If you take vengeance on your enemy, you're saying things about Jesus. You're just saying things that are false. So this Philippian jailer sees this stuff. And he sees guys that, that get beat to a pulp and chained in the dungeon. And yet, they're singing praise to God. He sees guys that, that have the opportunity to escape and they don't. Who have the opportunity to see their enemy be harmed and they stop it. I believe this jailer saw a whole lot about Jesus before he ever heard the sentence, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So when he heard that phrase, what happened? He's like, yeah, I think I will. I've seen what Jesus has been in your life. And I've seen what he's done for you. And I've seen how he changed your heart. And I've seen how you can be going through a horrible time. 
And man, somehow you still got joy. And somehow you're able to forgive your enemy. And somehow you're able to treat, treat with kindness those who've harmed you. I, I do think I want this Jesus of yours. And he believes. Okay, so let's test our theory. We've got some scientists in the room. And scientists are all about testing the theory, okay? So what, what's, what's been our, what, what, have we, what have we claimed here so far today? Well, we've claimed that, that with one's life, you ought to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you profess to be a believer, then your life ought to proclaim things about Jesus, right? About his glory, okay? So if that's true, if that's true of believers, then this Philippian jailer who just got saved, it ought to be true of him, right? So, okay, let's test it. Is, is that going to be true of him as well? Now, some of you are going to say, whoa, 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 stop, Pastor Jason. He's only been saved a day, you know, minutes, just a few hours. I mean, we really can't expect much of him, can we? You know, I mean, he's got to get signed up first. You know, he's got to go to the new member dinner. You know, he's got to go to team kids. He's got to drive the church bus away. I mean, we, he, he's, got, he's got to get, you know, we can't expect him to be changed automatically or right away. Well, I agree. We can't expect him to, you know, write a theology book right away. And he's got room to grow. We're all growing. We're all in the process of growing. But I, I still think that, I still think we can, we can count on that Jesus is going to change him, don't you? Yeah? If I'm wrong, I'm going to look really silly because it's going to undermine the whole, whole sermon, you know. But fortunately, I read ahead. I think I'm right. Okay, you ready? Uh, verse 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Oh, verse 33, look. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Let's stop right there. That's a great picture to me, isn't it? Isn't that a great picture? Here's a guy that probably inflicted those wounds. If he didn't, he had a part in it. And now, now he's taking a part in healing them. I think that's a great picture of a Christian. You know what a Christian will do? A Christian who embraces the reality of Jesus Christ. A Christian who embraces Jesus as their king. They're going to go back and they're going to begin to heal the wounds they've inflicted, aren't they? They're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be a person who heals wounds, not inflicts them. What else happens? Well, look in verse uh, 34. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. All of a sudden, he's ministering to believers. That, I think that's pretty significant, don't you? Listen to what Jesus said about that. In John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, the way that you treat one another, the way that you treat your small group, the way that you, you, uh, you love the people of God says something to the world about the Jesus that you believe in. It says something about your faith. So he shows hospitality, he ministers to Paul and Silas. He's willing to be baptized. Notice that. In uh, verse uh, 33, he took the same, them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. Now, consider that the only Christians this guy knows just got the fire beat out of him and put in jail, okay? Now, it's a pretty significant thing for him to say, hey, I want everybody in the town to know I'm one of them. I'm joined to Jesus. I, that's what baptism is. Baptism is a public identification that says I have been joined to Jesus Christ. Jesus died for my sins. He was buried in the grave. And the third day he rose again. And I want to tell everybody that I'm joined to Jesus. The old me is dead, buried. The new me is raised up to live a life in accordance with Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Tells us this. 
Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and civil generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. This guy was not ashamed of Jesus. Immediately, immediately, he's willing to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. What else happens? Well, he influences his family and friends. Um, verse uh, 33 says, uh, uh, He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. We don't know how it all happened, but, but we do know that this guy had some kind of influence on his family. You know, I, I picture him going back and saying, Guys, you've got to come meet these, these, these two men. You, you, let me tell you what happened. Here, here's what happened. They were beaten. They were put in prison. It, it didn't affect them on the inside. Man, they're praising. They're singing the, the praises of God. I was about to kill myself. They stopped me from doing it. You know, I, I treated them this way. Here's what they did for me. Listen to the message about Jesus. They, he influenced his family immediately. He's got great joy. Remember, this is a guy that just about killed himself. Again, you've got to be in a certain emotional frame of mind to do that. And yet look at what verse 34 says. Verse 34 says, Then he brought them up to his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household. Why did he rejoice? Why? Was it because everything was great in his outward life? No, his prison is a wreck. None of the doors shut. By the way, if you're a jailer and none of the doors shut in your prison, that's a bad deal. You've got to go to the hardware store the next day, and you've got to figure something out, okay? Because your deal's broke, all right? He's just identified publicly with the men who, who the rest of the city condemned and threw in prison. I mean, he's got some problems. But notice verse 34 says, And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He is rejoicing that he had believed in God. He's changed. Do you see that? Yesterday, he was a persecutor. He was a wound inflictor. Today, he's a healer and an encourager. Yesterday, he put people in prison. Today, he invites them to their house. Yesterday, he was in despair. Today, he's in joy. Yesterday, he he didn't tell his family anything about Christ. Today, he influences them to be baptized. This guy is radically transformed. The theory holds true, doesn't it? That a person preaches the gospel with their life as powerfully as with their words. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's all Paul said with his mouth. But he said a lot with his life too, didn't he? Two days ago, I was reading before bed with my girls. Haddon too, I think Haddon was in there. We were reading about John Harper. John Harper was a preacher in Scotland, I believe. And uh, got called by D.L. Moody to uh, preach a, a series of revivals in Chicago in April of 1912. I think it was 1912. They boarded a ship, a famous ship called the Titanic. Um, John Harper and his little girl, Nana. I'm going to pick up reading, okay? Bear with me. It was late. Nana should be in bed. John Harper took his little girl and tucked her into her bunk in their cabin. Then settled down at the tiny desk to read by lamplight before going to bed himself. Shortly before midnight, the ship seemed to shudder. Not long afterward, urgent voices were heard in the narrow hallway. Everybody out! Everybody out! John pulled on his clothes and bundled Nana into her cloak and went up on deck. Panic spread the word. An iceberg had grazed the ship, tearing open a gaping hole, and the ship was taking on water. Life jackets were handed out, and people started pushing and scrambling to get into the lifeboats. Let the women and children and the unsaved into the lifeboats, John shouted. He swung little Nana into a lifeboat and then turned back to help others as flares shot into the sky. John spotted a man without a life jacket. 
Are you saved, brother? He asked. The man looked at him angrily, tried to brush him aside. Here, said John, taking off his life jacket. You need this more than I do. As the dark, cold waters of the North Atlantic crept up the decks of the Titanic, John Harper's calm, reasoning voice could be heard helping to load people into lifeboats and asking first one and then another and another, Brother, sister, are you saved? It's not too late. Ask God to forgive your sins and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Be sure where you'll spend eternity. At 2.20 a.m., the stern of the giant ship rose into the air and the Titanic began its long plunge to the bottom of the ocean. John Harper was thrown into the icy water. All around him were desperate cries of drowning men and women. A man clinging to a board drifted near the floundering Harper. Are you saved? Harper shouted. No, the man gasped. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. John Harper shouted back. Exactly what Paul did. The icy waters were taking their toll. John Harper's strength was giving out. He saw the man float back within calling distance. Are you saved? He shouted again. No, came the weak reply. Then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, he urged, before slipping beneath the water. The man clinging to the board was later picked up by a rescue ship. And John Harper's last words burned in his mind. And he gave his heart to Christ. He was John Harper's last convert. That struck me because of this passage. It's exactly what Paul said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But you know what struck me? John Harper didn't have much time to preach much of a sermon, did he? When you're about to drown in the North Atlantic, you don't have time for three points and a little story and 40 minutes. All he had time for was one sentence. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. But again, I think John was preaching with more than just his mouth. Don't you think his life was saying something? You know what? When you're willing to, to say, hey, take my life jacket. I know where I'm going. I know the spiritual realities of life and death. I know my Jesus. When you're able to spend your last minutes frantically trying to get people to turn their eyes to Christ, that says something about what you believe. Doesn't it? Speaks. So let me ask you once again, what does your life say about what you believe? Does your life, the way you're living your life, does it say, I trust Jesus, I follow Jesus, I obey Jesus, Jesus is my treasure, Jesus is my king. Does it say that? Friends, it should. It should say that. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you, God, to do such a work in us, God, that our life says the right thing about Christ, that our life says the right thing about faith, about, about the spiritual realities of God. Father, please draw us to yourself. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work this morning and that people would believe upon Jesus and be saved. Father, we ask it in your name. Amen.